Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I haven't said this all during our series, but don't you appreciate our tech team who does all these great things? And then Dale Poor and all the wizards down in the set shop who make the sets for us. And by the way, they're just, they, they have such wonderful spirits and hearts. They are turning this around in a week for the Revelation series. So I just appreciate that. And speaking of the Revelation series, two weeks from last night, we begin the Revelation series. So one more time, I would really like to encourage you to get a hard copy of the Bible because it's going to be a lot to mark and you're going to want to make notes. Uh, and here's the, it's going to be 10 weeks. It's the longest series I can remember doing in a long time. It might be a little bit longer than 10 weeks. Uh, we'll see. But Revelation is such an important book in the Bible because it tells us the future. You know, one of the things I hear from time to time, people say, well, oh, what's happening today? These things have always happened. Not <laughs> not on your life. We're in, we're in uncharted territory right now unless you have the word of God. So we're going to be looking through Revelation. I do want to let you know one thing about Revelation. I'll say this again as we get into the series. This is not about curiosity. This is not about counting how many hairs are in the he tail of the red heifers and that kind of, kind of stuff. Peter asks a question when he talks about what's happening at the end. He says, seeing all these things are going to happen, what kind of people should we be? And that's what this whole series is built on. So if you're curious about the future, if you want to know what's going to happen and know how to live your life as you get ready for that, series starts two weeks from last night. And obviously, you're a Sunday morning attender, so it'll be two weeks from this morning for you. Well, today we're closing our series, Coffee with, with Jesus. And this whole series has been built around the idea that Jesus had personal interactions with people in his day. He talked to crowds for sure, but we have a lot of stories in the Bible about he interacted one-on-one -on -one with people. And we've made videos uh, for you as we've gotten into the service about people in modern times who are similar to the people who were in Jesus' day. And we've looked at their stories. For instance, in week one, we talked about Samantha, who is it's kind of a play on words for the Samaritan woman, a woman who thought her life was over. She met Jesus and got a whole new start in life. And then you heard a sermon on Pete, and that's, a, that's for Peter, who was a God follower who kind of blew up his life one day, but it wasn't the end of his life. And last week, I talked to you about Leah. We don't know the name of the woman who touched Jesus, but what happened in her life Today, however, I want to talk to you about the person who is the most like 2023 America. And I'm going to hold off on giving you his name because if I told you his name in the Bible, almost all of us would think, well, that guy doesn't have anything to do with me. And yet, I think a number of us would be surprised to find out that there are so, much, so many similarities between this guy and 2023 Christians. At least it's worth giving a listen to one of the reasons why I think we would have been okay with this guy if we didn't know him real well, I think he's a nice enough person. He's a nice guy. He sort of believes in justice. He believes in justice as long as it's not too inconvenient. And he's, you know, he would just see himself as a pretty nice fella. And it's important for you to understand that he doesn't really have anything against Jesus. 
I don't even think he has anything against faith in general. I think he would have seen all religions as morally equal, either equally true or equally false. So again, if, if he was your next door neighbor, I mean, I think he's the kind of person that you would have said, well, he's got some flaws and some faults, but on the, on the whole, he is a, what do we say here in America? He's a nice enough guy, nice enough person. So it isn't that he's against Jesus. Here's what you have to understand. He just doesn't have enough room in his life to focus on Jesus. I think right now, this is when this talk is going to get a little more like many of us. Because many of us will have an hour to give to Jesus. And we're giving him that hour unless we get a text or unless we're thinking about who's going to win the NCAA tomorrow night. But for the most part, we got an hour for Jesus. But as soon as we leave here, life goes back to the real world. And it's not that we're against Jesus. It's just that we don't have enough intellectual and emotional bandwidth to really focus on him. Because we're dealing with the important stuff. Let's meet our character. He is in Jesus' day. And even though most of the characters in Jesus' story are Jewish, he is not Jewish. He's Roman. He's successful. He's powerful. He's important. And you should also know that he's on the fast track. And that's part of the reason why he just doesn't have that much time to get serious about God. He got his start in those days like the Roman elite did. Uh, the, way, the way to get forward was in the military. And, but, but this guy was not just in any military branch. He was part of the Praetorian Guard. These are the people that guarded the Caesar. These are the elite. Hey, when, when, when boys in Rome thought about being you know, the superheroes, they wanted to be part of the Praetorian Guard because this was the best of the best of the best of the best. And because of their proximity to Caesar, this was the stepping stone to fame, fortune, and power. But Pontius had something else in his hip pocket that a lot of people were looking for today. He knew the right people. Hey, isn't that true? If you want to get certain kinds of jobs, you got to kind of know the right people. And he knows the right, let's say he knows the right person. I don't want to go too far into history, but you need to know a little bit of this so that you'll understand this guy. Caesar Tiberius is on the throne right now, and like a lot of leaders that we have heard about and know about, uh, he's a little bit on the paranoid side, and he doesn't trust people very much. But there's one person that he trusts. He trusts his, he tr he trusts his commander of the Praetorian Guard. It's a guy named Sejanus. Sejanus is not related to him, but... Tiberius trusts him so much that after Tiberius' sons die, there are people that think Sejanus might just be the next emperor of Rome. And when Sejanus whispers into Tiberius' ear that somebody might deserve a promotion, he tends to get that promotion. And so when Gaius, who is the popular prefect in Judea, when he's nearing retirement, Sejanus goes to Tiberius Caesar and says, you know who might be really good at that job? Well, it's his pet. It's the guy in the Praetorian Guard that Sejanus really likes, a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. And Sejanus says to Tiberius, that's your guy. And so Pilate is on his way. See what I mean? A guy like this just doesn't have that much room in his life for faith. 
making stuff happen. He, he's living, and this is something that I hear today. People talk about, well, I really don't have time to get really serious about God because I live in the real world. It could be that you're here today, uh, you're here with your girlfriend or you're here with your wife, and she's very committed to God. And when she talks to you about your commitment deepening, you just say to her, listen, I got to live in the real world. Well, that's this guy. I mean, he's in the real world, but how many of us in the real world are like Pilate in that the real world doesn't quite go like we hoped it would go? I mean, we climb the ladder of success and find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. We get the job, we get the appointment, and it's not what we think it's going to be. And that's what happened to Pilate, because see, Pilate, he was a military guy, and he struggled with culture. He, he especially, he didn't understand racially where he was. And being a military man and not a politician, he tried to ram his will down the throats of the people of Judea with disastrous results. Those of you in business, you know one of the most famous business quotations is this one. If all you have is a hammer, everything is a nail. And that's the only thing that Pilate has in his toolbox. All he has is a hammer. And so consequently, he's always trying to ram his policies down the throats of the proud Judeans. And it, 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 it comes, it's got disastrous results. I mean, I don't want to go into this too much, but there was a time where Pilate wanted to, you know, he wanted to kiss up to Caesar. So he brought in all these Roman insignia to the Jewish people. This was a graven image and they protested against it. And Pilate said, if you don't quit your protest and go home, we'll cut your heads off. And the Jewish people pulled their collars down and said, here's our necks. <laughs> well, that was one of the better situations because Pilate backed down. But on and on it went. I mean, just stuff like this. I mean, there was a time where Pilate, one more time, he wanted to impress, he wanted to impress the emperor, so he decided to build an aqueduct system. He thought surely the people in, in Judea would like that. They would get water, but he, he, he thought Rome conquered this place. They owned everything. So he took temple tax money to fund the aqueduct. Oh my gosh, it hit the fan. And Pilate killed some people. And instead of the emperor being impressed, the emperor said to him, you're on probation. Don't screw up again. But then the bottom fell out. That right guy that he knew, Sejanus, turns out that when the emperor's sons died, he had them killed. And the emperor finds out that Sejanus is a traitor. And so he summarily executes him, executes every member of his family, executes all his friends. I told you Tiberius was paranoid. And so Pilate is glad that there's some distance between him and Caesar, hoping that his name just doesn't come up in Rome anymore. He doesn't need anything on YouTube to go viral with his name on it. And that is when the worst possible thing that could happen to Pilate happened on a spring Friday morning. The Jewish prophet Jesus was brought before him on a capital offense charge. And again, I'm trying not to give too much history here, although I do enjoy it a little bit. But about two years before this, 
And again, Rome was kind of quirky in the way that it led a lot of local peoples govern themselves to a point. Rome had allowed the Jewish people to pretty well govern according to their religious laws, as long as it didn't get in the way of Rome, and even to, to criminal law. I don't know why I'm for sure, I'm, I'm going to guess, but about two years before Jesus came before Pilate, the Romans said, enough of you guys dealing with capital offenses. If it's a death penalty case, we're taking it off your hands. The Jewish people stoned people to death. And the Romans said, listen, if it's a death penalty case, we decide. And so that's why on this spring Friday morning, the, the elite leaders brought Jesus to Pilate and said, this man has committed a capital offense and he needs to die. Well, Pilate knew a railroading when he saw one and his sense of justice cried out to release Jesus, but it wasn't that easy. In John 19, 12, the Bible says Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Man, he didn't need that to get back to Rome. See, Roman prefects in those days, they wore a ring on their fingers. The top of it was a signet in which they authenticated bills by putting that signet ring in wax and stamping. But on the inside of that ring, like some of you have things engraved inside your rings, on the inside of that ring were two words that would be two words in English. It'd be in Latin, Caesar's friend. And the leaders, they knew they were putting Pilate in a tough spot. And they said to him, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friends. Caesar's friend. Now, Pilate, for the next few moments, is going to try to get rid of Jesus. I mean, after all, I mean, he wants to release him. He knows that Jesus is innocent. He also has a mob forming there. And he's going to try to find some way, because Pilate's a smart man. I mean, he, he's a man of the world. He kind of knows how to manipulate people. And so he's figured out some ways in which he could get Jesus off his hands. And the reason why I go here today, I think people are still doing these things in 2023. Some of us may be doing them in the service today. Because in a way, Jesus is standing before us, isn't he? I mean, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, Jesus is here. And he's, he's inviting you to trust him, to be, to be one of his family. But Pilate doesn't have time for that. And so he's got some stuff he's going to do to get Jesus out of the way. First of all, he tries to ignore Jesus. I mean, Pilate, this is in Matthew 27, 23. Pilate asked, what do you want me to, why do you want me to kill him? What has he done? It was Pilate's way of saying there's no there there. I listen, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful spring morning, beautiful Friday morning. Passover is, is coming. Why, why, why do we want to be in this musty courtroom doing all this kind of thing? I don't see any problem with this. There's no there there. I'm just going to ignore this, but it didn't work because when he did that, Jesus is still standing there. There's no new spring. There's no middle ground with Jesus. You can be his enemy, you can be his friend, but you can't find middle ground with Jesus. You know, you can find middle ground in your politics. You can find middle ground in who you pull for on your sports teams. You can find middle ground on just about any other subject in life, but you can't have middle ground on Jesus because he claims to be the son of God, the king of glory. And either, either you receive him as Lord or you say, I don't want him. Well, that didn't work. So Pilate now tries admiration. 
Luke 23, 4, Pilate turned to the leading priest to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. That is a nice thing to say about Jesus. You Pilate's saying, I think this guy's great. But you and I know what he's doing. It's not that he wants to receive Jesus as Lord. He just wants Jesus off his hands. So say something nice about Jesus. And I hear that today. I mean, I talk to people about Jesus and it's like, well, I don't agree that he is the son of God. I don't believe he is God, but he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a, an avatar. He was a catalyst for social change. But they don't see him as savior and they're sure not gonna worship him as Lord. Well, ignoring him didn't work. Saying something nice didn't work. So Pilate's going to do what many people do today. And that's, he's going to try to shift the decision to somebody else. In the too much information category, the Romans, as I said, were kind of quirky in the way that they allowed people a certain measure of self-governance. Uh, Romans, they didn't understand racially the area very well. And when, I think this may have been Julius Caesar, in fact, um, when... Um, when Rome was kind of like getting their footing years before, the Caesar had been friends with a guy in the area whose name came to be known as Herod the Great. And so even though Herod the Great wasn't Roman, the Caesars figured, hey, let's, let's leave the Herods there as kind of like a de facto king. And maybe the, the Jewish people will feel better about it. So what, as I said, what the, what, what the Romans never understood was that the Herods were not Jewish. They were Ottomans. They were descendants of Esau. But anyway, when Herod the Great died, some of his sons got part of the territories. And one of the territories was Galilee. Herod Antipas got Galilee. And so somewhere in the conversation during the trial that Friday morning, Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee and he's thinking, whoa, I don't have to deal with this. I'm just going to send Jesus over to talk to Herod and let Herod deal with this. I think a lot of people today want to shift the decision to somebody else. I remember years ago, not where I live now, but I lived in another place and neighbor across the street from me was a believer. He wanted me to talk to a relative of his who was visiting him. I remember still being out in the front yard of the house and talking about Jesus and his relative told me that he was religious enough. But when I started talking about accepting Jesus, he said, ah, and here's what he did. He deflected by saying, he deflected by telling me about all the bad things that he knew that Christians, religious leaders had done. And I thought to myself, I've been in this world for a long, long time. I could tell you a lot more terrible things that Christian leaders have done. And it's true. I mean, for one thing, there are charlatans. There are fakers. I, you know, you got to give the devil his due. If, if, if he wants to hurt the cause of Christ, he puts, he puts fakers in there to infiltrate the family of God. But one more thing I would point out. All of us who are in the Lord's family are sinners, you get very close to any of us, and we're not too whippy. So I just want to let you know that. I mean, there is a gap between what we know to be true and how we live our lives. And he basically said to me, I don't have to make a decision about Jesus because there are hypocrites in the church. But here's the deal. Jesus is no hypocrite, is he? Has he ever failed? Did he ever let anybody down? Well, Herod made some small talk with Jesus, and then he shipped him right back to Pilate. And so all the things that Pilate has tried, ignoring Jesus, saying something nice, 
sending the decision to somebody else. Jesus is still standing there, and the mob is still howling for Jesus' death, and Pilate is going to have to make a decision, and he's going to have to answer a question that he himself asks that you have to answer. Pilate asked in Matthew 27, verse 22, what should I do with Jesus, the one called the Christ? You are going to have to answer that question. And no decision is a decision for no. What am I going to do with Jesus? All the people said, kill him on a cross. Verse 24, Pilate saw there was nothing he could do to make the people change. In fact, it looked like there would be a riot. There's a, a mob like we have today with social media. There's a, there's a mob. So he took some water and washed his hands in front of them all. He said, I am not guilty. Let's pause there for a moment. Scholars are all over the page when it comes to the history of Pilate. In fact, skeptics did not believe the Bible was true because until 1961, there was no official archaeological record of Pilate. And they basically said, see, the Bible is false because it mentions Pilate. But in 1961... They found up around Caesarea, they found the stone that mentioned that Pilate was indeed the governor of Judea. He had dedicated a temple to Tiberius. And since that time now, all the secular scholars want to tell us all about Pilate. That's pretty interesting. We'll set that aside for another moment. But the one thing that most scholars are agreed on is that Pilate committed suicide. And I fear, and I don't know this, but I fear that Pilate is in hell today. And if indeed he is, it all began with this one statement, four words in English, I am not guilty. I don't accept too many outside speaking engagements these days. New Spring keeps growing and I'm getting older. I used to do that a lot back in the day. So many Mondays I'd be on a flight somewhere, flying somewhere in the world to speak. And for those of you who get into business travel, you, at least before COVID, you know what this was like. You're sitting beside some stranger on Monday morning and you're just talking about various things. And it isn't long before you know, you'll begin to ask each other the question business travelers ask, what is it you do? And I try to keep them from learning as long as I possibly can. Because as soon as they find out you're a pastor, the talk gets kind of quirky. It gets kind of stained glass. Like, I passed a church one day, you know. So, uh, and I'm terrible. For a long time, I used to say, guess. And nobody ever guessed pastor. I was always kind of off-put by that. Advertising was always the number one answer. Well, I guess I'm advertising for Jesus, so that'll work. But it wouldn't be long before they'd find out who I was, and the conversation oftentimes would turn serious. And so when I had an opportunity, I would ask the question, do you believe in heaven? Well, most Americans do. And, you know, the answer is, yeah, I guess so. Um, and then, you know, you know the typical expression that we Americans use? I guess we all go to a better place. Well, living in Kansas, that leaves a lot of opportunity. That's a lot of space. <laughs> That should be pretty easy. No, I love Kansas. Or uh, my church teaches, or I've always thought, or I've kind of wondered about this, you know. So uh, as I have the opportunity, I would say, well, do you believe that you are going 
to heaven. Well, most Americans by statistics believe they are. And so they say, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess I stand as good a chance as anybody. And then I would ask, and I'd always ask, I'd ask permission for this question. I said, I've got one more question I'm going to ask you for your permission to ask. If you believe in a heaven, if you believe you're going to heaven, what would be the basis? Why would you believe you're going to heaven? And 90% of the time, the answer would come back in some form of, well, I think I'm going to heaven because I think I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm, I'm nice to people. I, I try my best to tell the truth most of the time. So I, I, I think if anybody's going to heaven, I think I will. Now, I'm going to tell you something right there. I get a cold feeling in the pit of my stomach because the one thing I know is the person sitting next to me is not on the way to heaven. For one very clear reason. Nobody is good enough to go to heaven. In Romans chapter 3, the word of God says, there is none, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. That is God's way of saying none righteous, and in case you missed it, not even one. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, not even one. 13 verses later, we get this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is our problem. Those two words, come short. See, that's the thing. When we think that we're basically good enough, we're comparing ourselves to other people. But according to God, we have all come short of perfection. Now, I'm guessing that you guys are on probably up closer to the top. You may be a B plus. You may be 90% perfect. And then somebody here to say, well, I don't know if I could claim B plus, but I'm probably, you know, I'm probably passing. I'm probably C minus. I'm probably somewhere down there in the mid seventies. Well, I'm down in the forties. I'm sure you say, I'm sitting next to my husband. He's in the single digits. What does it matter if you come short? Because what it takes to get into heaven on your own is absolute perfection. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. And the Bible says if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So you understand what I'm saying? When Pilate said, I am not guilty, what he was basically doing was saying, unless he changed that point of view, he was forever lost. So in order to, we read, he washed his hands and said, I'm innocent. He even tried to set Jesus free by, because there was a custom that at the Passover time, let go of one bad criminal, let him out of jail. And so Pilate deliberately picks Barabbas, who's a terrorist, and he's killed a bunch of people. And so Pilate's like, well, they hate Jesus, but surely they don't want Barabbas living in their neighborhood. And they said, give us Barabbas. And there you have it. The worst crime in history, Pilate's the decider of record on the murder of Jesus Christ, committed by a man who didn't want to decide. Now, as I close out this message, I've said to you that Pilate is more like us in our generation. I don't mean us specifically, but Americans in 2023 than anybody else in the Bible. But I want to show you real, real quickly. There were three internal conflicts that set Pilate up for the worst decision in history. And here's the first one. 
It was the conflict between popularity and principle. I remember when I was a kid hearing my dad talk about Pilate, and I thought, you know, Pilate's not such a bad guy. I mean, he wanted to let Jesus go. He seems to care about fairness. But there was a moment when he realized that a stand for Jesus was going to cost him popularity. And at that moment, he was caught between doing what was right and what was popular. Oh, my goodness, are we ever there today? I want to tell you, if you're going to be politically correct, you're not going to be biblically correct. If you accept what this world believes about human sexuality, you're not going to be with God. You can be popular. You're just not going to be with God. Hey, this world's headed for the tribulation. It's headed for the kingdom of the Antichrist. It bears all the marks of Satan's kingdom. We're racing toward that. I mean, if you, if you believe what this world believes about stuff in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, you're going to be on the wrong side of God. You may be on the right side of popularity, but the wrong side of God. So what happens when you're caught between doing the politically correct thing and you're caught between doing the right thing? What will you do? You know, I'm just keeping it real here today. The hostility against Jesus grows more virulent every day. I mean, in my parents' day, there was a generally positive feeling toward Christ. Most of my lifetime, there's been sort of a neutral feeling toward Christ. But you and I are watching as there is hostility against Jesus Christ in our world. In America today, in, in mainstream culture, there is hostility against Christ. What are you going to do? Will you fold like a cheap suit? I don't treat this dilemma lightly. I mean, I want to be liked. I want to be popular. I've never wanted to be hated. And I don't want to leave you with the idea that Pilate didn't have principles. The problem was they were for sale. Popularity versus principle. This next one's really an American thing. Talk versus decision. You know, Americans are really good talkers. It's like we've got this word salad bar. And Pilate is a talker. I mean, you just see this. I mean, he, he's, he's refusing to decide, but wow, can he talk? I mean, earlier when Jesus was standing before him, Jesus actually witnesses to Pilate. Jesus said, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And Pilate said, what is truth? Who can know what is the right way? Oh, that's a deflection. That isn't real. It may get people off our back. It sure won't get God off our back. I mean, I've talked to people. So when I get to heaven, I'm just going to ask God, how could I know which way was the right way? Don't even try that. And like I said a few moments ago, Pilate said, what will I do with Jesus, the one who's called the Christ? What a ridiculous rhetorical question. He's already said he's innocent. What do you do with an innocent person? You set them free. Talk. I try never to give pet peeves, but I'm so close to one right now. Anybody else beside me gets so tired of governments and business that have these non-apologies, no-responsibility apologies? I mean, you ever, ever like buy a product and it, it's, it, it's, a, it's terrible and you call customer service and the person there, you know, they're reading the statement like, I care about, you know, care about you and I care, you know, we, 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 we care about serving our customers. You know what it is? It's just some person that long ago sold out truth who comes up with some sort of word, apolo word salad, non-apology apology. 
but they're careful not to accept responsibility. And that's what Pilate's doing. What is truth? What shall I do with Jesus? Well, it's closed with the third one. Interestingly, the third one comes more from religion than anything else. So if a person is religious, they may fall prey to this internal conflict more than the other two, and that is ritual versus reality. Do you see what Pilate did? We read this, and we read it in Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere, he called for a basin of water. I mean, he has to come up with some kind of compromise to feel good about himself. When he sees that a riot was developing, he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent. I've got a ritual here. And there are people who, in a service like this, will say, well, I don't have to make this decision because when I was a baby, my parents had me baptized. Well, that's your parents' decision. Or you may have grown up in a different, and you may say, well, Mark, I'm Baptist, or I'm Methodist, or I'm Nazarene, I'm Catholic, and I had this ritual when I was young, but rituals do not, they don't have equity in heaven. Isn't it interesting that Pilate was close to reality? What he did made him feel dirty, so he called for water to wash his hands, but water is Water's not going to wash away sin like Lady Macbeth who, could, who found all the soaps of the world would not wash Duncan's blood off her hands. So water will not wash away sin. And as good as church membership is and baptism and all these things are proper in their places, but none of those will take the place of a decision for Jesus Christ to receive him as Savior and Lord. It's time for me to end the message, and I'm really in overtime a little while, but I gotta tell you the thing. As a guy, like I said, who kinda likes Pilate, I think the saddest thing for me about Pilate, and I run into this every day of the week practically, is Pilate didn't know who was on trial. Pilate thought Jesus was on trial. The reality was Pilate was on trial. And as I say, I run into this all the time. People ask me, well, uh, I, if, if, if this is what God has to say, I'm not interested. If this is what God says about sexuality, then I'm not interested in God. If, 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 if I look back at the Old Testament and I see something I don't understand, then I don't have to make a decision about God. It, it's basically God is on trial. And if, if, God, if God rises to the threshold of my acceptance, then I might be interested in him. What they don't understand is that God is already going to heaven. The question is not whether God's going to heaven. The question is whether I'm going to heaven or not. And it's not on God on trial before me. It's I'm on trial before God. And that's the problem that I see with Pilate. He just didn't understand who was on trial. He got so close, didn't he? Right there in front of him. He thought Jesus was his problem. Jesus was his solution. Right there in front of him was the Son of God. Just like right there in front of you today in this service, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Right there in front of him is Jesus. And yet Pilate said, I'm innocent. I don't have any problems. I remember about 20 years ago, there was a movie that came out on the crucifixion of Jesus. And there was a lot of tension, racial tension, about who was responsible for the death of Jesus. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? According to the word of God, 
if we want to think about the reason why Jesus is on the cross, I am the one who's responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Because he died for the sins of people like me who are sinners. If Mark wasn't a sinner, he wouldn't have had to die. Years ago, there was a play that was presented that went something like this. It was a carpenter in the days of Jesus who was talking with his wife, and she says this to him, honey, I heard today in the marketplace that the Romans are advertising for carpenters to make crosses. You know, we've been needing some extra money around the house. You know, I know you've been making these cabinets and chairs, but if you started making crosses for the Romans, we could earn some extra money. And he answers according to the play, I don't think so. I love my job, but I could never make a cross. They kill people on crosses. But the conversation continues and the curtain closes. And when the curtain opens for the second act, it's several weeks later. And coming into the house is a little boy who comes into the house crying at the top of his lungs saying, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Son, what's wrong? Dad, I was in the market and coming down the street, I saw a big crowd. And that man, Jesus, we love, he was carrying the cross that we made. They're going to kill Jesus on that cross that we made. <laughs> no, son, there, there are lots of crosses. It, it, it couldn't be the cross that we made. But dad, it was our cross. I know it. Well, how do you know it? The other day at the shop, when that man came in to talk to you about building a set of cabinets, I didn't have anything to do, so I carved my name on a cross. And daddy, as Jesus was carrying his cross, he came right by me and he fell down right in front of me under the load. And I looked at the cross and there was my name. You know, on this Palm Sunday weekend, as we look back on Jesus Christ and what he did, I want you to know that in the sight of God on his cross was my and your names. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ. It's just that big of a question. And the answer is either yes, or all other answers are eternally no. There is no middle. And now, you and I must decide personally. Can't move it to somebody else. There are no Herods that we can ship it to. It has to be our decision. As I close this service today, I want to encourage you all, if you will, please for a moment to bow your heads. If you're watching online, if you're listening online, you're in North Auditorium, if you just bow your head unless you're driving right now. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a gift. Jesus paid for it. If you're willing to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe that he died for you, if you believe that he arose from the grave, and you're willing to come under new management, then you can ask Jesus, and he will come into your life, and he will free you forever. Wash away all your sin, and you won't be at 90% or 60%. You'll be at 100% because Jesus' record will be put under your name in heaven. Wow, what a deal. So if you want to pray with me, you don't have to pray out loud. You can just pray in your heart. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am guilty. 
I can't save myself, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quickly, if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's free, no strings attached. Inside this box is a New Spring Bible. There's also a book I wrote called My New Walk with God that'll answer a lot of questions that you may still have. There's a journal and some other cool stuff. If you're watching online or on television, just text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. Follow the steps. We'll mail it to you. But if you're on campus anywhere, you do not have to wait. Just go back to any info center. You'll recognize it by the color and say, I prayed with Mark, and you can walk out with this today. Happy Palm Sunday weekend. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.